0: Well, hey guys! Thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. I've titled tonight's message "Gospel Boldness," and I've been given the assignment of teaching two verses. So this is only going to be like a two-minute message, right? Uh, not hardly. Powerful verses. And so you can be turned into Romans chapter 1, or it may be on the screen as well. But uh, my opening here is this. Is there something besides God that you're extremely passionate about? Now, I know you guys are young adults. You have opinions. A lot of times you like to express your opinions. So I'm going to attempt to divide the harbor. Okay, and and some of you are going to get mad maybe at, at somebody sitting next to you that has a completely different opinion. See, I'm going to see what you're passionate about. First of all, how many really like to exercise? You're really into exercise? How many of you hate it? Okay, well, there's one difference. How about, how many meat lovers do we have here? How many vegans or vegetarians do we have? Oh, I expected there to be a sum. Maybe it's kind of like, you're not really, okay. We'll go on. Okay. How about, how many are electric vehicle people versus gas? How many electric vehicle people? Saving the environment, you know? Oh, you, you guys are the climate change people. I see <laughs> now what's going on. Okay. Oh, oh boy. This, this, will, this will divide you if we haven't been already. How many are vax people? How many are non-vax people? You know what? It was actually pretty evenly spread, but the non-vax people were louder. Okay? I knew that would be a little passionate. Uh, let's, Let's get into politics. How many are elephant? Any donkeys? You know where I'm going. Okay. Um, If you had a choice between Disney or Universal, how many Disney? How many Universal? Oh, that one is pretty evenly divided. My last one. How many are iPhone people? How many are Android? No, I did not expect that one. I expected the iPhone people are going to be a lot more vocal, but Okay, so tonight we're gonna talk about something we should all be very passionate about, that we can all unite around, because we can have these other differences. And let me just tell you, you can have your differences, but don't divide over that. Those things are really not critical when it comes down to it and dividing and being argumentative with people. But let me tell you something that is worth, and that's not being ashamed for the gospel. So we are gonna talk about gospel boldness and let's look at our key passage that we're going to start with. The first verse is Romans 1:16. It says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and to the Gentile." So as you look at that verse, and I, I trust you guys are just going to leave that up there on the screen for a little bit first of all, what is the gospel? We hear that name mentioned a lot, and I think people know what the gospel means, right? Tell me, what does the gospel mean? Good news, okay? For there to be good news, there also has to be bad news. If you don't know the bad news, you may not know something's good. If somebody came up to you tonight and says, hey, I just paid your parking fee, you might say, well, I don't have a parking fee. That doesn't seem like good news. But if you knew that you'd gotten a fine and you'd gotten a ticket and somebody said, I paid for it, you'd say, oh, thank you so much. Because you knew there was some bad news. The same thing with the gospel. You have to, first of all, know that there's bad news. The bad news is that every single person, me included, we're all sinners. We've all sinned, as the Bible says in Romans 3, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But I am so thankful that God doesn't leave us in that state. Because he went on a rescue mission for us because he didn't want to leave us in that stage, but that's the bad news. We've all sinned, and the penalty of that sin is separation from him forever, a place called hell. I know some people don't want to believe in it, but let me tell you, if you don't follow Jesus Christ, one second after you die, you will believe in it. I'm convinced of it. Jesus taught more about hell than he even talked about heaven. But here's the thing about the gospel. It's good news we see in that verse 16, it's the power to change lives, but only if we believe. It does have no effect if you don't believe. If you don't trust in it, you will not be changed by that power. Now, many people, I'm sure you've heard this, because this is pretty prevalent in our society, especially with non-believers, they will say Christians, we're narrow-minded. You know, we're intolerant, we're ex- exclusive. But I want you to look at that verse again. It says bring salvation to everyone. And here's what I really see is so powerful with the gospel. Next slide, please. The gospel, all people are welcome. We saw there on that slide the Jews and the Gentiles. We're all welcome. Number two is we can all do it. And number three is we all get to heaven the same way. That is so wide for us. That's, that's an opportunity. It's not about like you have to be born into this certain culture and you, or you have to do these certain works and you have to you know, have to sell so many of these magazines and you have to go door to door for two years and do this type of thing. Like many religions put all these different requirements on. Do you know that many, of the, many, many people in the world, their religion is stamped on their passport when they're born? especially Muslims. They are stamped on their passport in many Muslim countries. That's what they are. And they feel like they have no choice in it. Christianity is open to everyone is welcome. We all can do it. It's not like, oh, sorry, there's no way you don't have any opportunity. And we all get there the same way. So that's so good about the gospel. Now, I want to Look at one of the best passages in the scripture that talks about what the gospel is. So turn in your Bibles. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Maybe it will be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where you're going to see very clearly what the gospel is. The Apostle Paul, who also taught there in Romans, is teaching the same thing here. Starting verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters... And when every, anytime you see that in Scripture, you know he's talking to Christians, their brothers and sisters. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So that's why they're already believers, because they received it. And what you've taken your stand—that's what we have to do when we accept the gospel. We take our stand. We're willing to die for this. Verse two: By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you; otherwise, you've believed in vain. There are some people who pray a little prayer and then they wander off and they really haven't, it hasn't really taken hold. It hasn't really made a change. They really haven't, and that believe is not just like a a mental thing, it's really down deep a trust. So there are people who believe, but it didn't really take effect. That's verse two. But now, verse three. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. So we see the gospel has this is the most important thing. In all of the Bible, the most important thing that the Apostle Paul ever preached was this. First importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, and then the 12, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, Though some have fallen asleep, it's just another kind of a biblical way for implying that a Christian has is, is gone to heaven. They've, they've died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. By that abnormally born just meant that he wasn't necessarily a part of the original disciples. You know, He was kind of a, born in a different time, but now he is a follower of Jesus at this time. So here's from what we just read there in 1 Corinthians 15. Here are the basic three things of the gospel. The number one is that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. That's the good news. Number two, that he was buried. And number three is that he was raised on the third day. When we are baptized, and Brian mentioned earlier baptism, baptism is a picture of that right there. You're standing there, You're ready to go under the water. When you go back and you go under the water, it's a picture of you dying. When you're under the water, we don't hold you down very long, it's a picture of the burial. And when you come up, it's a picture of resurrection. Why baptism is so important, it's a public thing that you profess that you identify with the gospel. Now, we also see from this passage there were many eyewitnesses still alive at the time that this letter was written. See, one of the things is that people had a hard time disproving the gospel because there were so many eyewitnesses. In fact, what year is it right now? It's 2021 A.D. A.D. stands in the Latin for "Ado Domini. It means in the Latin, the year of the Lord. Prior to 1 A.D. was 1 B.C., before Christ. Our calendar, everything in time, is hinges on the birth of Jesus Christ. So we, it was so important that throughout history, more has been written about Jesus, more has been more people believe in Jesus than any other religion. It has been so paramount. But people have tried to disprove it. And the big thing that they try to disprove, and which is some, one of the most important things, because a lot of people can die, right? We all die eventually, but a lot of people could die. And there was a lot of people even crucified. But only one person ever rose from the dead, never to die again. That is the key to Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why Easter is really a bigger celebration than Good Friday. Because what the resurrection shows is that God the Father had the power to not only allow his son to die, but then to raise him up. And it was prophesied. Anybody who can predict their own death and then come back from the dead, they're worth following, let me tell you. But there are people who are critics, and I'm gonna give you the basic critics, the, the, the uh, things that they say in the next slide. And that really has to do with the empty tomb. A lot of people knew Jesus died on that cross. But when those guards on that tomb saw the stone rolled away and Jesus, you know, left that tomb, they, they were there to guard it to prevent what now just happened, and that is an empty tomb. So here's what some of the arguments are. First of all, that Jesus never really died. You know, that it appeared that he died, but as he laid there in that cold tomb, he came back to life. Now, I tell you what, that takes more faith to believe because of all the descriptions, just a description of the, the spear going in his side and the water and blood coming out is a picture of, of death because it shows the water was the, the, the sack of water around the heart as well as the blood. I don't know how anybody could be crucified, do that, lay in a cold, damp tomb for three days and then roll a stone away with guards out front. I mean, that, to me, but that's one thing is that, well, maybe he didn't really die. They call it, he swooned. It appeared like he died. And so when he was resurrected and people saw him, remember, it was 500 people just at one time, oh, you know, he, he, he never really died. That's why we can see him. So that's the first thing. Next thing is that they said, well, there's an empty tomb because the disciples stole the body. And that's what the Romans tried to say. Well, he stole the body. You know, there was no body So these disciples came, and they took his body away. But here's the problem with that argument. These same disciples were all willing to die for the belief that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. If they had stole the body, would you really die for something you knew wasn't true? See, people might die for something they think might be true, but they're not sure. But if you knew something was a complete lie, would you be willing to die for it? All it would have taken is, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, we took the body. Here it is. You know, we were, you know, it could have taken one person to recant something, but they all knew. They saw him. They couldn't go back because they knew that Jesus was raised from the dead. They didn't hide his body, and as a result, they were willing to die for it. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that the, either the Romans or the Jewish leaders, well, they hid his body. Now that one is even harder to believe because the empty tomb caused the rise of Christianity that brought down so much of the Jewish religion and the Roman Empire. So if that was really the case, you would have thought, man, when we see this Christianity expanding and so forth, we're just gonna bring the body back and it'll just put, you know, it'll squelch everything. You know, it'll just put that, that, that thought out that he rose from the dead. But see, they couldn't because they didn't steal the body. The only explanation, the unrefutable explanation, is that he really rose from the dead. That is the power of the gospel. And what we do is we put our faith and trust in that. No other religious leader can make that claim and back it up. That's what separates us so differently. The other thing is that Many people will say, well, Jesus, you know, I believe in Jesus. It's hard to refute him because it's such an impact on history. But I just believe he was a good teacher. You know, sometimes certain religions will say that. You know, he wasn't really God. He was just a good teacher. If he was just a good teacher and he really wasn't God, well, then here's one thing. He was either a liar then because he was making claims. He was making claims that he was God. And I'm going to show you some of them. Or he was a lunatic. He was completely crazy. Or he was actually who he said he was. You can't have it like he was a good teacher and he's out there teaching law, law, uh, lies or he's crazy. So this is such an important thing. Look at some of these verses that, that talk about Jesus. John 8, 58 through 59 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, this stirred up the Jewish people because he used the name that remember when Moses said, What is your name? The burning bush? I am that I am. Jesus is saying, I am. In other words, at that burning bush was Jesus. Before Moses, before Abraham. Okay? I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he was making the claim of being God. But hit Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't his time. That wasn't the way that God called for him to die. Then this one is even more clear, John 10, 31 through 33. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was making claims that he was God, and they were having a hard time with it. That's why they wanted him dead. They called it blasphemy. So now let's go back on to our passage in Romans. Romans 1, now verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, that's how we become right with God is through the gospel. We could never do it any other way. It's through the gospel. So the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. Now, here's another important thing that separates out true Christianity from other religions Christianity is based on faith, not by works. All other religions are a workspace. In other words, you get closer to God or you earn your way to heaven by being good. And see, that helps their religion because that allows them to be almost like control the people, manipulate the people to get them to do whatever they want. Whatever the religious leader wants, they can get the people to do because they're asking them to, to give this way or serve this way because and then the people feel good like I'm I'm getting closer to God, and, and so forth. But Christianity is not like that. Christianity is based on faith. It's, and our righteousness doesn't come by works, it comes by faith. When you see that verse, that last part, the righteous will live by faith, this verse is repeated four different places in the scripture. So I would say it's a pretty important verse. And when it says it is written, The righteous will live by faith. The first time it's found is in the Old Testament, in Habakkuk 2.4, but then it's found here in Romans, in Galatians 3, and in Hebrews chapter 10. This part of the verse, the righteous will live by faith, how many of you have heard of Martin Luther? Heard of Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation? You know what that was all about? This was the key verse that his eyes were illuminated to because prior to that, he was a part of the church that was all based on works. You, can, you did certain things, certain activities, and you earned your way to heaven. And he says, uh, this, this, He was actually a monk. And he, he's like, This seems to go against what I understand in Scripture. So he broke out of that. That's why it's a Protestant, a protest reformation. They reformed because he says, I believe that Christianity somehow moved back to works and it should be based on faith, that we become righteous by faith, not by works. And so that's why it caused the big division. This was the key part. I'm gonna show you another verse here on the screen related to the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. It says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. So how do we become a Christian? Through God using other people. God's making his appeal to you tonight, if you're not a Christian, through me. I'm up here as an ambassador. But it's really God is making his appeal through us. You might be doing it with your friend at a coffee shop. So we see right away, we are the ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us it says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What the gospel does is that before you become a Christian, you're enemies with God because of your sin. Remember the bad news. But remember, if, you've, if you have to reconcile with someone, you know, you're at odds with them. Let's say you had a friend, you're no longer speaking, you don't want to be together, and somebody's trying to reconcile you, bring you back together, Okay? That's what we do with the gospel. We reconcile God and a sinner. And we do it through the gospel. We we reconcile. That's what we're trying to do. Verse 21 is another key verse, though, in what the gospel is. It says, for our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. That's really important. Jesus was perfect. That's why he was born to a virgin. So he was perfect. He had no sin in him. But God put his, our sin on him. So when it says, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin. So Jesus took our sin, even though he never sinned, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some people have called this verse the great exchange. And you see this next point on the screen. The great exchange is Jesus takes our sin and we take his righteousness. I tell you what, I don't know why anybody would refuse this. This is the good news. Jesus pays our penalty, and I get his righteousness. Another way to look at it is you were arrested for a crime. You absolutely committed it. Maybe you murdered someone. Let's just use that as an example. You murdered someone. You're a fit of rage. You stand before the judge, the jury has convicted you, And the judge is pronouncing the sentence. You're guilty. You're going to spend life in prison. But here is what that great exchange is. The judge stands up. He takes his robe off, lays it down on the chair, and says to the the sheriff deputy, I'm going to go and pay his penalty. Even though you're guilty, you're free. Go home. Go be with your family. I'm going to go to prison for you. Because God is a judge, he, sin has to be judged. It, he can't let it go unpunished. Otherwise, he would not be a good judge because he's just. If we had a judge in our courthouses that every time guilty people were brought before him, he was like, oh, just go. I don't want you to mess with this. Just, you're all free. People would be demanding that judge to stand, step down because he's not a good judge. God is a perfect judge. Sin must be judged. But what he did was he allowed that sin penalty to be paid by Jesus. He took our sin, and we took his righteousness. So because he was sinless, he now sees us as sinless. That's the gospel. That's the great news. Now, most people, though, believe there are many ways to God. I know you've heard that, right? Many ways. Well, let me ask you, how many ways is that? Some people believe, well, as long as you're sincere. Does that mean that if I'm really sincere and I believe this microphone can get me to heaven? Oh, microphone, I I, I love you. Will you just get me to heaven? Does that make that right? If I'm sincere? I mean, that means anybody can make up anything. See, truth is narrow. And the gospel is true. Two plus two is never five. Truth means Two plus two is always four. There's only one way. And sometimes people say, well, why isn't there many ways? I'd rather look at it and say, aren't you glad we have one way? And we all have the same opportunity through Jesus. It's good news. But many people believe, oh, there's got to be many ways. But the most common thing is good people go to heaven. How many of you have heard that? Good people get to heaven. I'm going to share with you what I I do a lot of funerals. And funerals are interesting because they're non-church people at funerals. And I share the gospel very strong at every funeral. And I've never done a funeral. I haven't at least had one person get saved. And I've done a lot of them. Because here's what I say. Because they're all thinking about death, the person that's in the urn or in the casket. I'll say, okay, many of you here in this audience, and I'll say it here in the harbor, think that good people get to heaven. Number one reason why people think, are you going to go to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. Why? I'm a good person. And I'm going to tell you three arguments against that. Number one, how good is good enough? Nowhere written anywhere is there, like, how good is good enough? Wouldn't you hate it if you were thinking, as long as I'm a little bit better good than bad, like maybe 51% good, so I'm I'm over, I got more good in me than bad? And God said, "Uh uh-uh, you missed it. It was 80%. Oh, man, nobody ever told me, you know? Or what if you were thinking, I'm really, really good. I'm, I'm 80%. God's like, uh, sorry, you missed it. Missed it by 10 points. Sorry. You would say, I didn't know how, how good is good enough. So that's the first argument. Second argument, what makes something good versus makes something bad? People all have their different views on that. You might say, well, I've never committed adultery. Well, good. Jesus said, "If you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery in your heart." So sometimes people are focusing on outward things, but God, Jesus was even teaching about the heart. So sometimes what might be, I'm not that, I'm not like this person, you know, I'm pretty good, you know, and then somebody else said, "Well, that's not necessarily good." What does people, do, what do people do who focus on the good person? They always compare themselves with people worse than themselves. <laughs> Am I right? And they, they prop themselves up, they feel good. So that's a, the first problem is how good is good enough. Second problem is what makes something good versus bad. You know what most people tell you? Well, I keep the commandments. If somebody ever asks you, I keep the commandments, and if that's what they're basing their whole life on, then ask them, can you name the 10 commandments? Most people will not go past about three or four of them. And they're basing their whole eternity on something they really don't even know, just try it sometime. The third problem with it is it actually goes against Scripture. Let me share this verse up on the screen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, is a gift of God. See, that's what grace is. You don't earn it. It's not by works. Verse 9 not a result of works, so no one can boast. The scripture actually tells us we don't get saved by works. So if anybody thinks they can be saved, get to heaven by being a good person, then you've got to rip this verse right out of your Bible because it can't be any more clear than that because if you could be good enough, then what? You can boast about it. Well, look at me. I earned my way to heaven because I, I did all this stuff. No, you can't do it. But people have a problem and say, well, what about all this stuff with good works? Aren't we supposed to do good works? Yes, but they don't save us. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what does that mean? We're not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works. When you become a true Christ follower, it should change your heart where you become more loving. You want to help people that are in need. You want to sin less. You want to show love to people and compassion and, and so forth. We're created to do that, but that doesn't get you to heaven. So it's not a matter of like, oh, I just believe, I go to, I'm going to heaven now, and now I just continue to live my life any way I want. No, no. We were created for good works. but Remember, that does not save us. So as I get ready to close this up, let me just put this last slide up. So why can we have a boldness and confidence in the gospel? Remember I titled this gospel boldness. We can be bold about this, bolder than all the other things I was mentioning at the beginning because it is unrefutably true. It's the most important concept in our life, and it will make a difference for all eternity. That's why we should be bold. We should not be ashamed. You can be ashamed about something you're not sure about, but you have to know that you know that you know this gospel is true. There is no other explanation that Jesus Christ came. All the prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled that can only be fulfilled through Jesus' birth. And there's still more prophecies to be fulfilled. on His return. But you just take the ones that were given hundreds of years ago, and people will say sometimes, yeah, but you know what? Those are writings. They've been changed over time, and I'm not sure you can believe all that stuff. Well, let me just share this one. This is historical. You go on to Google. You find it out. I've been there in Israel at this place called Qumran. I think you have been as well. Something called the Dead Sea Scrolls were found there. They were written about 700 years before Christ, and they were preserved in these, these pots, in these caves, in a very arid environment, so they were preserved. The, most of the Old Testament pieces of it were found, but the whole book of Isaiah. The, I, the book of Isaiah is very prophetic about, the, the, about Jesus, his death, and it was found written 700 years before his death. When they found that in the 1940s, they compared it with what we had right then as the book of Isaiah. We have not lost any meaning as the different translations, as the different manuscripts have been passed down. Because if you can believe that God is big enough to create the universe, you can also believe that he's big enough to preserve his word. And he has. We have the authentic word. Yeah, there might be a word or two that could be a little different in certain translations, but we have not lost any meaning. And the book of Isaiah prophesies so much about Jesus, his death, and we had it way before it ever happened, 700 years beforehand. We can believe it. We can trust it. So we don't have to be ashamed. I'd like to invite the band to come up as they get ready to close the service. I don't know you guys. I'm glad to be here. You look like great people. I'm I'm trusting that most of you are already Christ followers. And I'm hoping what this message did was maybe put a boldness in you. To never shrink back. Never be like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You're going to be criticized. Yes, you will. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about if somebody doesn't believe what you believe in Jesus Christ. Be bold. Share the gospel. It's the power of God to save lives. That's how you're saved. It's, it's about all of eternity. But some of you yet may not be saved. I don't know. Some of you may have a, a religion yet in your head, a belief about Jesus, but it's not really deep down inside. And maybe something tonight from one of these scriptures said, yes, the light bulbs come on. I am willing to give my life for Jesus Christ. I'm willing to die for him if it came down to that because I believe that. I want to follow him. While heads are bowed, I just want to give you an opportunity right now because I would love to pray with you. I don't, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not calling you up here. But if you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ tonight, here's what I'm going to ask you. Just raise your hand up high and I want to lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. I want to make sure everyone here, okay? I see one hand. Anybody else? Okay, another one. Anybody else? Just keep your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Remember, we just said not ashamed of the gospel. Anybody else? Very proud of these two. There's another one. Good. Three of them. Anybody else? I'm just about ready to end. This is your time. You know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and and maybe you're allowing a little fear to come in there. Don't allow it. Okay, you put your hands down. These three that that raised their hand. Just pray this prayer in your heart. It's not about the exact words, but it's about the meaning of it. You're praying to God. You're not praying to me. You're not joining this church. We don't even have membership. But what you're doing is you're saying yes to the gospel. Just pray this now. Heavenly Father, I realize I'm a sinner, that I've sinned against you in thought, in my words, in my deeds. But I know that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose on that third day. Come live in me, Holy Spirit. I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. Forgive me now of all my sins, Lord, all my sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at we Are the Harbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.